Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. morning, church. So good to see you. And if you're joining us online, we're really glad that you are joining us as well. Uh, wanted to, you know, we've been in this series for about the last month called Disruption, Enlisting in God's Revolution Through Prayer. So why don't we start today in prayer? Let's do that. Father, we uh, come to you thanking you for the fact that you're with us. We thank you for uh, what you have done uh, through sending Jesus and having him uh, Get the, get the victory over sin and death and giving us the opportunity to live in relationship with you. Father, I pray that today uh, you would open our hearts to receive what it is uh, you are uh, wanting us to receive and that, God, you would change us in this moment and you would change us forevermore as we continue walking with you um, and just trusting in what you are doing uh, in our lives and through us and in this world. God, I pray that you would move mightily and that we would be expectant for you to do so. We pray this in Jesus' name. And church, if you agree, you said? Amen. Amen. So, he was, he was drifting. He was drifting. Uh, apart from anger, revenge, and resentment, he didn't really have a purpose. Uh, there was an amount of pain boiling up inside him he didn't know what to do with. And so he tried to numb the pain. Uh, he, his relationships were dwindling. And the, the ones that were still in existence were fracturing, and his brokenness was breaking those around him. Even though he had all of his basic needs met, he could see that something major was missing. The he I'm speaking of was me. You see, even though I didn't grow up in church, I was discipled by things, just like you have been and are. Uh, discipled, taught. Uh, whether it was from movies or music, by friends or video games, I was discipled into the belief that if you want to make it in life, you have to live a life of revenge. If anyone wrongs you, if anyone has any uh, problem with you, you don't just confront them, you destroy them. That the reality of having success in life came down to cruelty. And that was the way to make it. That was the may, way to, to move forward. Because everything that I saw in, I mean, any, any good action movie, right, it's driven by one purpose, and that is revenge, right? Grudges, that was just normal. Resentment was just an unfortunate reality of life. 
That's how I grew up. That's how I was discipled. And each one of us, all of us, have ever, we've all been discipled by things that say that. But I knew that something was missing. I realized that something was missing. That wasn't the way that I was supposed to live. You see, I was living in the grip of the prince of darkness. And I was being controlled by the kingdom of darkness that he leads. I mean, think about it. What does Satan want for your life? What does Satan want for your life? He wants you to be filled with guilt and shame. He wants you to be drowning with shame and guilt. He wants you to be overcome with relational discord. He doesn't want you to reach reconciliation with people. He wants you to be at odds with as many people as possible. He wants you to to be kind of the person who is a little bit hard-hearted toward other people. And he wants you to be in denial about it all. See, I was in that grip. I was in the grip of the Prince of Darkness. And all of us have uh, run the risk of living a life that even if we're surrendered by Jesus, we can still give ourselves over to the Prince of Darkness. See, we've been in this series, like I said, for the last month. And what we've been seeing is that when Jesus came to earth, he came to disrupt the kingdom of darkness and bring in the kingdom of light. He came in to disrupt it all. Aren't you so glad, for those of you who follow Jesus, aren't you so glad that Jesus disrupted you? Because that was my story. Jesus disrupted all of that stuff and showed me what life should be like and ought to be like and can be like with him. And so in this series, we're going to continue because we're, we're, understanding, we're, we're understanding that our prayer life isn't just so that we could get some stuff from God. God wants for us more than any of us to receive something necessarily. He wants us to become different people. He's not so much interested in what you receive something from him, but for you to become someone because of him. And so our prayer life is important for us to understand that what God is doing in our lives and what he wants to accomplish through us. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. I'd encourage you to start bringing a Bible. If you don't bring a Bible, it's good to hear the little bit of stuff in there so that you understand that there's the stuff I'm putting up on the screen isn't just fake. It's for real. Like I might just, you know, one day for half the message just preach on something that's totally unbiblical just to see if any of y'all pay attention. Y'all think I'm kidding. Okay, Matthew chapter 6. We'll see. You can open up your phone. It's all good. If you're watching this on your phone, go get one of these things. If you don't have one, let us know. We'll get you one. Okay, Matthew chapter 6. This is what Jesus says. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let's let's do a little bit of review as we've been doing. Jesus says this in Matthew 6 verse 9. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven... Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. You know, like sometimes, a lot of times when we pray, we are in a battle against the person in the mirror. If we're in front of a mirror, we're in the battle with the the person in the mirror because we're deciding whether or not we're going to readily recognize that Jesus is the king and that his kingdom is the one that needs to come rather than ours. You ever notice that? 
in your prayer life. We're having to decide whether or not we're going to try and uh, fit our will into God's will, force the issue, and ask him to do what we want rather than what he wants, and be open to that, right? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Jesus, you are king. You are in charge. We want your kingdom to come. Your will to be done. And God just tells us, hey, I care. Not just all, Not just about the big picture, but I also care about your basic needs. Give us today our daily bread. He wants us to be dependent on him for all things, each and every day. Because self-sufficiency really is a myth. And so today, he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I mean, you just imagine the scene, right? Jesus looks at the disciples, and he looks at each one of them in the eye. And he knows what they've done. He knows what they've thought. He knows the moments that their eyes wandered where they shouldn't have. He knows those thoughts that, he, that they didn't act on, but they wanted to. He, he looks at them and looks them in the eye, knowing that they, time and time again, have slapped God in the face with their behavior and with their actions and with their thoughts. And he looks at them, and he knows all that, and yet he says, Hey, part of your prayer life, you can, you can really open up to God and ask him to forgive. That's crazy. Jesus invited us to ask the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, that if you sinned once, anybody sin once? Anybody sin once? Just just one time, because that's all she wrote, if it's once. That's all it is. That's all you need. If you didn't admit it in that moment, there you go. You just got it, right? We are invited to ask God for forgiveness. This is crazy. And and really, like all of us, so he, he says, forgive us our debts. That's a, that's a, a first-century Jewish way of saying sin. Forgive us our sin debt. Because here's the, here's the reality for all of us. Every person who's ever lived, past, in, in this moment and in the future, uh, except for Jesus, has built up a debt of sin to God. And here's the thing. Like, it's not just like a little manageable level of debt. Like, you know, you can do some baby steps to get through it. You know, you can cut your lifestyle back and you can pay it off. In a couple years' time, you can just work hard, work some extra hours, and get, get rid of it. It's not like that. Because we have sinned against a holy, infinite God. And so any sin against him is a debt that we don't have numbers to compute. It's so far beyond that level. And so, and by the way, the interest rate's pretty terrible too. It's not like 3%, like right now, you can get a mortgage for it. Like, this, it's not working that way. And by the way, this sin debt, even, even though it's so, so crazy high in terms of the, the price that we would have to pay, uh, we can't go bankrupt on it. We just can't declare, like, oh, I just can't do it. I need it. I, I, can't, I can't do it anymore. I'm sorry. We can't do that. We can't do that with God. Picture this, okay? Um... Anybody ever had some, some debt, some financial debt? Just, I mean, even if you don't have it now, anybody ever had some? Like anybody who doesn't raise their hand, I'm curious as to how you did that. That's awesome. Um, so, okay. You had some debt, right? So uh, just imagine, just imagine, um, someone comes to you and, and they, they gave you a call and you didn't recognize the number, so you didn't answer, right? You let it go to voicemail and see who it was because, you know, you don't want it to be a spammer or whatever. Um, they leave a voicemail and they say, hey, this, this is such and such. We need to talk. I, I want to give you something. And you're like, oh, I'm going to get something. So I want to call them back, right? So you'll call them back. And, and then uh, they say, hey, um, just so you know, like all of your, all of your debt, um, your, your car loan, 
um, your home equity line of credit, your uh, that that random loan you got for that random thing that I don't even want to ask about, right? Uh, those credit cards that you have, um, the the second and third mortgage on your house and the first mortgage on your house. Um, I just paid that off for you. You don't owe anything anymore. Y'all, would that be would that be amazing? Amen, y'all. That's when the church said, "Oh, y'all, okay." I mean, for real, because you're like, oh, "I ain't gonna happen." For real, though, I ain't gonna happen. Imagine if it did. Or let's just say this, right? You got all your debt paid off except for your house, okay? So you just got a mortgage, and uh, your phone rings, ring, 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 or you know, whatever, and and you answer it. It's your mortgage officer at the bank that you have your mortgage with, and they say, "Hey." We just started a new program, and, and it's really cool. Uh, once a year, one time every year, we're going we're gonna to forgive one mortgage, and you were chosen. Amen, right? I mean, for real, for real. That would be amazing. And hey, just can you come into the office? We need to take some, do some paperwork, and you don't owe any more payments. It's all free and clear. It's yours now. Because by the way, when you owe the bank for your house, they own it. You don't, right? You ever thought about that? That's depressing. Anyway, um, so that would be so cool, right? The amount of gratitude you would have if, if someone just came in and paid off all your debt. You know, think back to when you had a bunch if you don't have any anymore. How amazing would that be? You see, that's what Jesus did for us. We had a debt level so high we could never pay it. We had no hope for it. And the interest level just kept accumulating all that debt. And Jesus said, hey, I'm the only one who can do this. I'm the only one. I'm the only one who has a bank account big enough to handle not just your debt, but everyone else's debt too. And so he said, hey, I'm going to come and I'm going to pay that payment. And so that's why he went to the cross. That's why he shed his blood to give us a freedom away from our sin debt so that we are no longer enslaved to it because the borrower was slave to the lender. And now we are able to live in freedom to God because of Jesus. That's good news, y'all. This is a reality that many of us, we've heard it so many times, we don't get excited about it, but some of y'all should be jumping up and down even if your knees can't handle it and jumping up and down and saying, thank you, Lord. Some of y'all ain't awake yet. So hopefully some of y'all at home are doing that. Let me know in the comments. I'll check later if y'all did that, okay? Jumping up and down. It's cool. Just don't blow out a knee, okay? Don't, don't blame Brandon because he said to do it, okay? All right. That's what Jesus offered us. Paul says this in Ephesians. He says it this way. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says this. In him, who's him? Him is Jesus. In Jesus, we have redemption. That's a good word. Redemption through his, what's that word, church? Through his blood. Very good. The, for, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. Understand this. The riches of your sin are not greater than the riches of his grace. The riches of your sin. You are not the exception. The riches of your sin are not greater than the riches of his grace. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have redemption through his blood, through his blood. Forgiveness has to come through blood. Just remember, we've been going back to the Exodus multiple times because when Jesus would have invited them to pray, our Father in heaven, they would have thought about the Exodus because they're good first century Jews. 
And as good Bible students, we're going to think about things as good first century Jews because that's who would have thought about it. And that's what Jesus would have been bringing up to them. And so you go back to Exodus. You go back to the point where the, the God's people, the Hebrews, were enslaved in Egypt. And God raises up a man named Moses. And he says, hey, I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to tell him to let my people go. So he invites Moses to go to the most powerful man in that region to say, hey, all those immigrants who are in your city that you've enslaved and you're making a bunch of money off of, let them go. Why? Because they're God's people. And eventually, uh, the 10th plague ends up breaking Pharaoh because what God said was, you need to let them go or I'm going to kill your firstborn son. And uh, by the way, God knows what it's like to sacrifice a son for the rescuing and redemption of other people. Right? He, know, he knows what that's like. So uh, God uh, tell, tells the Israelites to say, hey, um, you take one of your uh, blemishless uh, animals and uh, sacrifice it. Take the blood, put it over the door, uh, door frame of your house. And when the angel of death comes to destroy the Egyptians so that they would let you go, um, you put that up and, and God will pass over you. The angel of death will pass over you. Uh, and it had to be done through blood. Get, guys, Jesus is our eternal Passover. Because of him, we are passed over and we don't receive death. We receive, receive life for eternity. That's good news. And then so what happens? The Israelites are rescued, they're, they're ransomed, and they are uh, taken through the Red Sea. God destroys the rest of the Egyptians who start pursuing them and goes into the wilderness. And then he tells them to build a tent, a tabernacle. And he says, hey, uh, I want you to do this, and this is where my presence is going to be with you. And inside of the tabernacle was a room inside of the middle, and it was called the Holy of Holies. And inside of it was the Ark of the Covenant. And on the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments and what's called a mercy seat. And what he told the, the high priest, the, the, the big dog, you know what I'm saying? Uh, he said, hey, once a year, go in and you're going to sacrifice a, a, a spotless, blemishless lamb. And you're going to sacrifice them. You're going to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat so that when God's perspective, when he looks down at the mercy seat... Uh, he won't look at the, the fact that the Israelites broke all the Ten Commandments, but he's going to see the blood. And because he sees the blood, he's going he's to forgive them. And then the, the other lamb, so he takes two lambs, the other lamb is uh, basically laid hands on, and the, the priest says, all the sins of the Israelites are on you. It's the scapegoat. And, and they take the goat, and they lead him out of the camp, and it signifies the fact that sin has left the building sin has been gone. And so we think about that. What is What happens when Jesus makes that sacrifice and he sheds his blood so that the riches of God's grace would cover the riches of our sin? Well, Jesus made that sacrifice. The, the blood when Jesus, when God looks at you from heaven now because of Jesus, because you've been clothed in the blood of Christ, Jesus is the one who God sees. Now when God looks at you, he sees the perfection of Jesus because you've been covered by his blood. And now the sin has been gone. It's been done away with. Now you are no longer enslaved and shackled to sin. And so all these things, all these images would have been in their minds. No, this is good news because this is what Jesus did for you. He, he sacrificed himself. He was the only spotless, blemishless one who could take into account all of your sin, past, present, and future. No longer do you need to live in condemnation. For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You live in grace. 
Now the debt has been paid. You don't owe it anymore. And some of us, because we don't comprehend this, because we grew up in a way that we had to learn right and wrong, our parents, rightly so, had to teach us right and wrong, and wrong has consequences, we have a hard time wrapping our minds around grace. Because grace says you get what you don't deserve. That means you get forgiveness. When you don't deserve it, none of us do. Forgiveness is a hard thing. Because it's usually given when someone doesn't deserve it. And so Jesus looks at them and says, hey, you can invite God, ask him to forgive you. And as a forgiven people, you also get to forgive others. So he says this, let's read it again. Matthew 6, verse 12, and forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts, forgive us our debts. Jesus did it. As we also have forgiven our debtors. This is where things get hard. <laughs> this is where things get tough. It's no longer theoretical, but now it is super practical. Forgive us of our sins as we also have forgiven our debtors. Uh, Paul says this, he goes on in Ephesians, uh, in that same letter that we just read, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, he says this, Let all bitterness anger and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. Why would he say that? Why would he say that? See, when God forgives someone, he doesn't just give you a second chance, he gives you a new life. Forgiveness from God, I'll just say it again. Forgiveness from God is not just a second chance, it's a new life. And so God didn't want to just forgive you and leave you at that for you to be the same kind of person that you always were. No, he wants to transform you and give you the power to forgive others as well. So you can imagine like if the church was that kind of thing. Have you ever noticed, y'all, like I didn't realize this. Because remember, I didn't grow up in church. But some of y'all did. And hold up, like let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and stuff. Have y'all ever experienced... Uh, People like that in the church. Y'all ever notice that? Like revenge, resentment, grudges, gossip. That's sad, right? Super sad. Paul, like it was apparently already present in the first century church. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. See, this is what happens for us as followers of Jesus. God transforms us by sending the Spirit to regenerate us. Because before Jesus, we were spiritually dead. Not spiritually kind of like paralyzed or spiritually kind of like not on the right track. But we were all spiritually dead before Jesus came in and gave us new life. And he wants to transform us from the inside out. That's what the Holy Spirit here is here to do. So that we would be the people who live out the God's kingdom and God's kingdom standards and God's will for us in our lives so that we could become people who forgive. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. There is this expectation that, that we would, as people who have forgiven much, that we would forgive much and we would love much. Isn't that how it should be? For those who have been forgiven much. If, you've been, if you understand how much you have been forgiven. 
Like, think about it, y'all. Think about it. I think a lot of times slander and malice and all this stuff is, in, is present in the church because we've forgotten how bad we are. Like, if you really remember how much you've been forgiven, how much debt you've piled up, how much sin you have had on your account, then, like, when someone tries to slander you, like, you don't have to respond with revenge and get them back because they, you know, did some kind of injustice against you. You, like, look at them like, bro, you don't, you don't even have half the story. I'm so much worse than you think I am. And God is so much more gracious than you think he is. I am so much worse. And yet I've been forgiven so much. And so I forgive you. Amen, right? If you think I'm bad, you don't know half of it. I don't know half of it for you. Because all of us got stuff that only God knows about. All of us got stuff we aren't even aware of that we've done that has wronged God. And when we think about the fact that God loves us so much that he decided to send his only son, his perfect, thoughtless, blemishless son to die for us, then we should be people who elevate forgiveness over slander, forgiveness over grudges, forgiveness over resentment and revenge. Right? And, and the Holy Spirit is here with us to Train us to become those people. See, we've been forgiven and given the power to forgive by God. We've been forgiven and given the power to forgive by God. This is a two-way thing. God told us, hey, I have showered you with my grace, and now that you know what grace looks like, I want you to shower other people with grace too. It's not because we forgive to receive forgiveness. It's because we forgive because we've been forgiven. Right? We're not earning. Uh, it's, not like, it's not like God was like, hey, I need to teach these guys a lesson. So I'm going to forget. I'm going to pay off all their debt except for this little one. And they're, gonna, they're just going to have to be disciplined to pay that one off. And so that you've been doing this the rest of your life, trying to earn God's favor by doing all the right things and saying all the right things and knowing all the right answers. By the way, most of the answers are Jesus. <laughs> We have nothing to offer except our lives and surrender. And so God has showered us with grace. And he said, hey, I want you to be my family members. My family members. There's this thing called uh, family systems theory. And uh, parents, and those of you who are, uh, you got, y'all got parents, you know, uh, all, that's all of us, um, by the way. I don't know if you realize this, but as parents, we're going to mess up our kids. For real. Like, it doesn't matter how many things we think we got put together. I'm sorry, young people. Your, your parents will mess you up. They're not because they mean to. It's just because they're sinful. They ain't perfect. Right? And all of us, if, if there's this thing called family system theory. If you, if you start to think about, if, and the, there's a lot of families who don't do this because you have this kind of weird relationship with talking about things that aren't so positive in your, in your family, right? Like you, you just avoid things. Like some families just avoid difficult conversations. Like, well, let's just put that over in the corner. We won't talk about what's in the corner, even though we all know it's in the corner. We just don't talk about it because it's in the corner and we just want to leave it alone. It's, it's too, too painful. If we really track the, the patterns of the generations that came before us, it would explain why we do the things that we do. 
if, if you t- think about the fact that if you grew up in a family where you never talked about like hard things, then there's no, it's, there should be no surprise that as an adult, you don't know how to h- talk about hard things. For some of us, we grew up in a family where uh, conflict was something to be avoided at all costs. We never did it. And so now as an adult, you don't know how to handle conflict because you never did it. Uh, some of us, we, we, didn't, we never uh, grew up in a, a house where conflict was healthy. All we heard was yelling and fighting. And so now when we're in conflict, all we know is to yell and to fight, right? And, and so uh, a couple other things, like if, if we grew up in a family that, that didn't ever talk about money, then we probably don't ever know how to handle money. We don't have a good relationship with it. If we ever grew up in a family where we never talked about how we really feel, like talk about our emotions, uh, because those were things to be avoided and you just got to get over it and push through it and don't, don't bring that up to me, uh, then we probably grow up as adults with, as people who don't know how to process our own emotions and be able to handle things. Right? Like, so you can see if you just took some time, and I know, like, this is not to be mean to your family or your upbringing, because no matter how awesome your parents were, they messed you up in some ways, okay? I'm just, I have to apologize to my kids because that's just going to be the reality for them. Um, but if you start tracking, like, okay, how, what was my, my parents? What was their parents like? It probably gives you some context as to why they are the way they are, right? And probably gives you some context to why you are the way that you are. And if you just keep tracking it uh, by generation, by generation, by generation, you can start to see that there's a pattern in your family that has led you to this point. And wouldn't it be great, right, to be the people in your family uh, lineage that either continues uh, the, the path of, of doing better because we're uh, surrounded by the Holy Spirit and we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit or be the people who totally change your family tree and, and start to follow God in a significant way. And then everyone who comes after you has a legacy of faith who's working through all those things. We can talk about conflict. We can talk about hard things because we know the God who holds it all together. And did you know that forgiveness, the opportunity for it, is always coming out of conflict? Did you know that? The opportunity for forgiveness... Never comes about apart from conflict. And here's what God wants to do. When, when we surrender to Jesus, we have been, we, we are adopted into God's family. And so now we have a new father. And I don't know if you ever thought about this, but discipleship is really just reparenting. As a child of God, now we have a new dad. And our dad is one who forgives. Amen? Our dad is one who can handle our stuff. So we talk to him about it. Our dad is the one who loves us so we can be loved by him. Our dad is the one who shows us the way. And now, as followers of Jesus, we are in a process, a steady process, of being reparented by the Father who is in heaven. And so when you have struggles with forgiveness or have struggles with uh, going about the right way, uh, have you thought about how long it took for you to parent your kid? Or how long it took for you to be parented by your parents? Still in process. And now we are welcomed into a new family where we have a family of forgiveness. Think about this. The Lord's Prayer is really a, a... recognition of what Jesus's life is and what Jesus's life was. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your name be honored as holy. What did Jesus do? He prayed to his Father and he honored his name, right? 
Your kingdom come, your will be done. What did Jesus do? He was the one who ushered in the kingdom of light to disrupt the kingdom of darkness. He is the king coming in, bringing in his kingdom. What did Jesus do? He, he said, uh, Father, if this could be possible, if this cup of suffering could pass, let it be. But not my will, Lord, your will be done. Jesus is the one who did God's will perfectly. And guess what God's will is? For none to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's his will. And for us to love God and to love people, that's what Jesus did. What did he do? He didn't just teach people, didn't just do miracles, but he fed people. Give us today our daily bread. And he says, I am the bread of life. If you eat of me, then you will live forever. That's some good bread, y'all. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What did Jesus do? He came to usher in the family of forgiveness so that we ourselves would be different kinds of people. So how does this impact our home? Well, it impacts our home because we should be, of all people in the world, people who are willing to forgive. There will be times when the people closest to us hit rock bottom and they do something horrible. And you might think this is an opportunity for you to say, I told you, why did you do that? Condemn them. But those are the biggest opportunities, the most amazing opportunities to shower them with the love of God that says, I forgive you. What if our homes were a home of forgiveness just like God would want for his family? That would be a beautiful thing. What about our church family? What if we would be a people of forgiveness? No longer having grudges or or disputes or malice or slander among us. But what if we raised up the idea of forgiveness? Why? Because we've been forgiven so much. Don't lose sight of how much you've been forgiven. Otherwise, we'll lose sight of how we're called to forgive. I mean, imagine the world looking at the church, looking at your family, looking at you, and thinking, ah, that's so weird. And yet it's so cool. I want some of that. I think that would be the case if we would be the people that God's called us to be, the family of forgiveness, the kingdom of forgiveness. See, God's will is a will of forgiveness. And I know what you're thinking. If I forgive them, they won't learn their lesson. If I forgive them, that will be called enablement. If I forgive them, they won't learn from this. If I forgive them, they'll do it again. My friends, that is God's category. That is God's responsibility. We are called to forgive. So maybe some of us in this room, we have some relationships that we really need to have some forgiveness invaded. Some of us maybe have been holding on to grudges been holding on to resentment for too long. And maybe we need to go to that person and forgive them. You see, again, forgiveness isn't deserved. That's why it's called forgiveness. None of us in this room were for, or would deserve to be forgiven by God. None of us. Absolutely none of us. Our best day deserves hell. Right away. The person that you are at odds with. Step into that uncomfortable space. Of forgiveness. That doesn't mean that everything has to go back to the way it was. But forgiveness is usually. Holding you captive. If you don't give it. 
Those who have been forgiven much, love much, that's what we're called to be. Church, here's here's a very practical prayer practice for us this week. It's called a prayer of confession. And this is when we get real, real with God. Where we say, God, I I know that there's probably some uh, kind of tendency for revenge or seeking that out. There's a tendency for resentment. There's, I've got, I'm holding on to some grudges. I'm holding on to some, to some malice. I'm holding on to what someone said about me. I'm holding on to some stuff. God, I'm asking you to release it from me and give me the courage to follow you because I understand that you are trustworthy and so I can give people my forgiveness because you told me to and you will handle whether or not they pay some kind of penalty for it because you are the one uh, who gets to deal with all that. You say vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That's what God says. And so we are not in a position to uh, bring about vengeance on anyone. We are called to forgive. And so we just take some time to open up to God and say, hey, uh, I don't know. Maybe, you just, maybe this is you. I don't know if I am holding on to anything against someone. I don't know. But please show me if I am. Or maybe some of you, you got someone in your mind right now. And you want me to stop talking because this is very uncomfortable for you. Because maybe you've been holding on to it for years. And it's been eating you up. Maybe this is the time that you can just resolve to God that you'll trust him in that and you'll decide to forgive. And maybe the, that prayer of confession will lead you to uh, seeking out that person and talking about it. Because some of you, you're holding on to something the other person's not even aware of it. They don't even know. Because you've not brought it up. Because maybe you grew up in a home where you guys never just never brought stuff up. You just held stuff in until it went pop. Maybe, maybe you need to bring it up. Because the opportunity for forgiveness is always coming out of conflict. So I don't know what that means for you. But I would encourage you to let the Holy Spirit lead you this week. Because we are, to be, we are called to be a family of forgiveness. And our daddy is showing us the way. And he wants us to become like him. And he is a father of forgiveness. Church, let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for... For the fact that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the fact that we are called to forgive, not because we're trying to earn your favor, but because we've already earned it. We've already received it. Because of what Jesus has done, he earned it, and he has given it to us. God, would you please open our hearts to be softened, to where we can readily live with an awareness not out of condemnation or of shame but an awareness of our own sinfulness so that we would have hearts that are softer toward other people so we would readily offer forgiveness to them holy spirit would you please invade our lives invade our heart heal the broken things in us god please break down all of the things that we've been discipled to believe that revenge is worth it, resentment is just normal, that grudges are, are things to be hold, held on to. God, help us to be your people. We need you to show us the way. We can't do this on our own. God, would you lead us? Would you show us? Would you remind us of how much you love us and how much you love that other person that we are at odds with? We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.